Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.health, where you can check out today's interview, as well as leave us a rating and review through the subscribe button. Without further ado, I want to introduce our outstanding guest. His name is Dr. Ivor Juster. He is a very successful leader in healthcare. He's got a a really great track record of success, and he's done a lot of really interesting things. He's trained in family medicine, practiced in Vancouver, and also in San Francisco. He really, his roots are in primary care, but then from primary care in the front lines, he transitioned to medical management. HMO and PPO informatics, disease management, and outcomes. Then with the Canadian EMR vendor at Active Health, he did a lot of really interesting things. And then with Aetna, where he just applied his, his interest in informatics and health economics to take the company to the next level. So that's a brief introduction on Dr. Juster. What I want to do is open up the microphone to him to round that out and add any details that I may have missed. Ivor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Saul. This is a lot of fun already. (laughs) You know, as far back as I can remember, I have never wanted to settle with one thing. I was never like, you know, how I want to grow up to be a fireman, a rocket scientist, whatever. I just wanted to grow up to be practically everything. (laughs) Nice. And uh, I think I've still that way. When I selected a college, I selected St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland, because they offer a truly classical liberal arts education. I mean, we were reading Plato and Greek. Ah, that's and then uh, went on to major in philosophy at the University of Minnesota. And, and in that process, fell in love with science, with biochemistry in particular, and also from what I observed, the possibility of improving health. So when I graduated, it was natural for me to go into family medicine and to practice family medicine for many years because I wanted to work with the whole patient, even the whole family, and eventually the whole system. And so at that time, the emergence of evidence-based healthcare, data mining, a little bit of artificial intelligence, that's been a longer journey than I think its founders realized it was going to be, but joined an HMO, that was FHP, the staff model HMO that was trained a lot of medical directors and clinicians. Some startups and active health when it was a startup, that's a clinical decision support company that was later bought by Aetna. And then at Aetna, this passion again for silo bridging, I was always the guy like, oh, just bring in somebody who can talk to everybody. And I really like that. I really loved seeing those points of view and trying to incorporate them in, in whatever product or process we were doing. And I've really been blessed with a variety of different kinds of mentors and on the job training over that time. So hard to pin down, I guess, but I think that that might be uh, an advantage in some, in some areas. Well, you're, you're a Renaissance man, Ivor, and um, from the classics that you read in college to your varied interests in healthcare and beyond, you definitely have a very unique perspective to offer in that thought. What would you say every medical leader today needs to be focused on. You've got to be thinking about what is the current big thing. So we talk about the next big thing, and it's only next if you're not aware of it. And I would now 
say, be aware of some of these trends that are occurring right under our noses. And uh, hopefully we've got good sense of smell to smell them because they, in many ways, seem far away or not terribly relevant. I'll name a few of them. Be aware of what's going on, for example, in genomics, microbiomics, the, the omics, as they're called. There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Be aware of what's going on with the advent of um, gene sequencing. Oh, anybody can get their 23andMe, for example, which is most relevant parts of your genes done for under 100 bucks. Probably uh, you'll get your whole genome sequenced for nearly that price in five years. What, what's going to happen when everybody can get that? And they're going to their doctors with, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Hopefully their doctors will be coming to them. And that's one of my missions in life, I guess. Artificial intelligence and machine learning. Nanotechnology, the ability to sniff out, prevent, and fix disease at a molecular level. Yeah, this stuff is new. It's emerging. But if you're not aware of it, it's going to creep up on you like so, so many other things have in other areas besides medicine. That's today. What's over that horizon? And maybe not so very far is when all these things really begin to interact, that intersection of technology, the ability to collaborate across the globe instantly, the availability of information. By the way, that's good information, bad information. I don't know what to do with this kind of information. Are we going to help our patients and our constituents to sort out what's good information, what's bad information, how to think? Because that's what they're coming in. I think one of my motivating forces is seeing family members and close friends and sometimes going into the doctor with them so we can also have a doctor-to-doctor talk and seeing that there just needs to be a world more of curiosity, a world more of curiosity. And, you know, I also relate to having to see a patient every 15 minutes and half of that's probably dealing with the EMR and insurance companies. And how are we going to solve that problem so that people can get the benefits from healthcare that, that they're really, that they're yearning for? Ivor, you've dove into a lot of different topics, and for the leaders listening to to this, you're probably like, whoa, that is a fire hose of things. And uh, the reality yeah. is that's healthcare for us today. And I love that you mentioned this thought that, no, today's big thing. Everybody always talks about the next biggest thing, but what is today's biggest thing? things and what are you and your organization doing to dive into those at the end of the day you really can't dive into all of them but what areas are you going to choose to make moves on that's going to create a compelling future like the Gretzky maxim right (laughs) where the puck's going uh yeah and having worked in a Canadian company that was one of our favorite masks that was one of our favorites we (laughs) and we looked at that and we said and This was back in about 2000 when we didn't have anything like the information technology and connectivity we do now, but we had to be thinking, yeah, but what's this going to look like in five or 10 years? But let's say, for example, and I think it depends on who you are, but let's say you're a multi-specialty group practice. It can easily relate to that. Lots of your patients are starting to come in with stuff they're reading on the internet or they're learning on Facebook. And I think virtually every disease now has at least one Facebook page. And patients are talking with each other, and some of them love their doctors, some of them hate their doctors. I hope doctors will start reading some of these Facebook pages just to lurk and see what what their patients are really thinking. Because otherwise, the patients will just go somewhere else eventually. I remember when I was seeing patients, and one of the surest clues that the patient didn't have any idea what I was talking about is if I asked them, do you understand? And they'd say, yeah. (laughs) It was all in the body language. Well, those days are coming to a close. And so put yourself in your patient's shoes. And if you're not a patient, much of a patient yourself, you only go in because you're healthy or you got a small thing, then go in with somebody who isn't healthy 
and just learn what it's like to be in their shoes. So I think that that's learn what it's like to be in their shoes is probably a good model for leaders in any industry. I think that's a great example. I were like the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, I got the flu and just feeling so sick. And while the flu is just a temporary thing that goes away, the intensity of it for the two days that I had it oh. was just rough. And it made me feel that, I think that what you're going after is that compassion, right? Like having compassion for the person in their room that needs your help so much. Absolutely. You know, I think people like to have three C's for things. So I'm going to do uh, compassion, caring, and curiosity right here. Because it was important that the doctor realized that maybe what you had wasn't the flu. And without taking a 15-minute appointment and turning into an hour, to just like to realize that you were in a sad enough state to <laughs> want to go wait in that waiting room and sit around and, and find out what was going on. And it's hard to, when we're rushing around, it's hard to put ourselves in the other's shoes. But it's, we got to force ourselves to do it. And then it's so rewarding when we do. I've that's true in organizations too, right? You're in a meeting and somebody has a point of view and I have a point of view and somebody else has a point of view and everybody has a point of view. They have to. Right. If I, what I would like that other person or department to say is, I would like to under, what's it like to be you? <laughs> what do you wish I knew about you? And I would, of course, say the same thing to them. And I think we'd make progress a lot faster, not only with our patients, but in organizations. I think that's a great call out. And as you think through the different things that you've done in your career as a, as a healthcare leader, Ivor, what would you say one of the things that stands out as maybe a setback that you had mm -hmm. that you learned most about? You know, this goes back to my early days of when I transitioned to medical management in the HMO. And... Um, they asked me to um, get together a group to set up a pain clinic. So pain clinics are inherently multi-specialty. They're very often run by anesthesiologists. Nowadays, pain management is more of a specialty. They'd probably be run by a pain management specialist, anesthesiologist in those days. So I quickly met the very delightful head anesthesiologist at the hospital that was closest to me that this organization owned. And we busily started getting a team together and setting up the pain clinic. And then about a week later, I get a call from this other anesthesiologist, the head of anesthesiology at the other hospital, who was kind of miffed. <laughs> but, you know, how come you didn't think of me in my hospital? And I actually don't know why I didn't think of him in his hospital. I I just didn't. And what I learned from that, and we became good friends and very good colleagues and actually did set up a dynamite pain clinic for the HMO. But what I learned from that is what I don't know. It's one thing to, you know, like I know that what I don't know, I don't know how to fly an airplane. What about the stuff that I don't even know that I don't know? And that was a real good example of that. How do I get at that? Other people might know it or at least might clue me into it. And so I've got to start it. That's back to that curiosity thing. I've got to start asking questions like, well, what am I missing here? What could I be missing here? Yeah, and asking the question and also surrounding yourself with other people that you could potentially get feedback from, right? Yeah, and actually listening to it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely <laughs> see what you're saying. <laughs> I think of my financial advisor, for instance, you know, I see something, I want to run it by him and we talk it through and oftentimes he'll see some blind spots that I had in an idea and why not do this in every area of our life, including healthcare? Absolutely. The urge to protect is so biologically wired in. And usually, so, you know, 95% of the time, maybe that's great. The other 5%, though, and in a rapidly changing world, back to this exponential thing, in this rapidly changing, soon-to-be-disrupted world, that 5% suddenly grows to maybe 50%. 
and even organizations, even or, it's said that or even organizations have an immune system like the body does. And now that's, you know, I don't see that that's good. I don't see that that's valuable. And on top of that, I'm kind of threatened. So it's better, more than play nice. We have to pay, play creatively. And I think we'll have more fun doing it, but it, it takes a change in mindset. What would you say, Ivor, is one of the proudest medical leadership moments you've experienced to date? I joined an organization called the Disease Management Association of America, DMAA, back when it formed. It's got to be at least 15 years ago. And a few years later, now it's a Population Health Alliance. A few years later, we convened consultants, actuaries, medical directors, and people who have to implement stuff and I think nowadays we'd probably include a few patients, to produce books, and this became an annual thing, on guidelines for how you measure outcomes. So how do you determine what outcomes to measure? How do you measure them? How do you avoid the bias so that you're actually measuring the outcome and not the bias? All those sorts of things. Produce a series of those. I think some of them are still available on the Population Health Alliance website. Maybe we can put that in the show notes. Then a few years after that, the Population Health Alliance joined with the HERO organization. That's the Health Enhancement Research Organization, which uh, principally serves employers and their employee health programs. And we produced a magnum opus that took about two years, many teams, and I led the um, financial outcomes section. And the process of getting that together and leading that section because measuring financial outcomes of a program that's very different. If you have diabetes, it's one thing. If you don't, but you're at high risk, it's another. There's lots of moving pieces. Doing that is still highly contentious. And people from companies who were in direct competition with each other had to be brought together and have a good time <laughs> producing yeah. this thing and say, no, we're, our secret sauce needs to be how we improve outcomes, not how we measure them. We need to measure them the same way. And so that that was a proud moment when we launched that first edition back in 2015. And again, I think we can probably provide a link in the show notes. It's a free download. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that resource and congratulations on, on that accomplishment. Oftentimes <laughs> we need to reach across the aisle and, and work with those that are potentially our competitors to figure out a way to get to the next level as a whole. Agreed. Ivor, what would you say one, uh, right now, an exciting project or focus that you're working on? You know, I've been taking a lot of um, courses and conferences. In the last year, I think I've practically re working on almost re-educating myself in those omics that we've talked about, the genomics, yes. the microbiomics. There's probably about 10 different omics. And in fact, I'd like to call out Eric Topol's great paper in the journal Cell which again, I can give her, and that's a free download. Beautiful. Classic on how the omics work together. So I think diving into these kinds of relationships, but the thing that's turning me on and getting me out of bed in the morning more than anything is how do we get that to doctors and patients? And with my primary care background, I'm most interested in getting it to primary care docs and their patients and empowering them with, you know, I live in a place in Northern California where just about everybody has had at least a 23andMe done, if not their entire genome sequenced. And then they bring it to me. Like, I really, I don't know how I got this badge. What am I supposed to do with this thing? Okay. And then they bring it to their doctor who of course hasn't taken several hundred hours of these genomics courses like I have. And yet there it is. And it's kind of stupefying people. And what do we know? What don't we know? And how do you keep up with it in that doctor-patient world? I think that's the most exciting thing I'm doing right now. I'm working with some companies to do analytics and make sure people understand the nuances of methodology. So again, you're measuring the outcome, not the method you use to measure the outcome. And that's also very exciting. 
because you, you just see people's faces light up. So kind of twin projects there. I love it. And I could definitely hear the excitement in your voice when you talk about it. So uh, really exciting to hear you you're diving into these things. So Ivor, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Dr. Juster. So we're going to write out a syllabus. I've got four questions for you that are lightning round style, and then we'll finish up with a book. You ready? Okay. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Okay, I'm going to name three things, but they're totally related. Let's do it. First, specify your stakeholders. That is the people or the institutions that care about what you're doing, about your world, and define what value is from these key perspectives. What's valuable to them? You know, don't make it up. Go find out. Uh, get feedback, and then set up and use an outcomes monitoring system on those metrics. Then, and this is the critical one, actually use the system that you set up and be ready to iteratively improve it. And then third is prepare to be disrupted or be a disruptor. And you can't disrupt everything, but uh, you could be disrupted by everything and by these exponential advances that sharply improve the cost per outcome value relationship. So if you invested in a $10 million person genome sequencer 10 years ago, I got news for you. They're like well under a thousand now. And so at least be curious about what might be disrupting me. So I think those are three related topics having to do with outcomes. Yeah, Ever, I, lo- I love the, you said, you know, don't just guess. Define your stakeholders and ask them what value is to them. Do not guess. Measure clearly and use these systems to measure clearly. And I think that's a a really great call out that you've, and prepare to be disrupted. This is sort of coming from the seat of somebody that's seen a lot of things, listeners. So take into consideration uh, this pathway that Ivor has laid out for us. It's a really, really crucial one. What would you say, Ivor, is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Well, I'd say not being alert and curious. And not putting yourself in the other person's shoes. So I'll take a non-medical example from last week. I was staying at a Marriott hotel. And I love Marriott's. But, you know, most of the people that stay at these kinds of hotels in the middle of a city are working. Yes. And so they might go home at, at late and, you know, do some emails at night or whatever. And the desk chair goes, I think you'd hit, if you were at least six foot six, you'd be okay. The tallest you could make that thing was like way too low. And I'm thinking these people actually use their rooms like they should go stay at the Marriott for a few days and try to work. Yeah. And so this is, and this is not a slam against the Marriott. I love that chain, but it's back to that, put yourself in your customer's shoes and your customer, of course, could be your patient just as, or somebody else on your team. Don't fall too much in love with your own ideas. I love it. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You know, I think that companies need to invest in the ongoing education in their talent at every level and look outside your domain. I can't remember who it was who said, most of the smart people don't work for your company, even if you're Google. I think it was probably somebody from Google or Apple who said that. Go to a futurist meeting or sit down with a a thoughtful futurist. Just elicit these other points of view. And when you then start beating up on your ideas and say, how are we going to improve this? Or is it good enough? You'll have the metrics and the curiosity to do that. What's one area of focus that should drive everything else in your organization? Make sure the data and methods you're using to measure your performance or to improve your performance aren't more about the methodology that is the bias. I'll give you an example in just a second. The bias, the noise, the luck. You know, something's just happened by luck. 
Yes. You know, the history of medical science is littered with that. You know, the first study comes out and everybody, wow, look at that effect. About five years later, and usually on the back page, it was like, we did three more studies and really it's only like a 1% improvement instead of a 30%. You know, you got to look at that kind of stuff. And bias comes in many flavors, even in randomized studies. People say, well, we did this randomized controlled study and we showed that this was, drug was 30% better than that drug. Well, maybe it was, or maybe it has something to do with the bias of people who sign up to be randomized in a drug study. So we got to look at that sort of thing because they're about those driving forces that for outcomes and also things that improved outcomes 20 years ago might not work now. Classic right. example, beta blockers after a heart attack. There's some 20 years ago, there were probably 30 years ago, I guess, practically a miracle drug. We still use them. They're still valuable. But since that time, there are so many other things that improve outcomes after a heart attack that the original effect size, I'll call it, of the beta blockers isn't quite as much. This is good. This is really good. And, you know, listeners, as you dive into this thought process, you'll notice that Ivor takes a very critical look at how we place bias as part of our decision-making and making sure that when we measure, we don't measure the method that we're gathering data, but we're measuring the actual outcomes and being less biased about it. This is a really great message. Yeah, and if you don't know which one you're looking at, look friendly neighborhood biostatistician or somebody who's thoughtful but somewhat skeptical and say, you know, do you see, like, is there something where the results I'm seeing could be the result of the way I'm measuring it, not of the thing itself. Ivor, how do you find your neighborhood friendly biostatistician? <laughs> I'm just thinking well, about okay. my name. I'm like, I don't well, know. They are my... friendly. They might not be friendly, <laughs> If you're in a large enough company, I'm sure you have one. But um, For sure. If and certainly there's consultants that hire themselves out and maybe I'll write a paper about it. Uh, actually, though, if you look at the Population Health Alliance Hero Guide to Measurement that we'll reference in the notes, there's a fair amount of, of that kind of stuff in there. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. So there you have it, listeners. What book would you recommend, Ivor? Can I give a tie for first place? That's fine. Okay. The first one I'd recommend is Abundance, uh, The Future is Better Than You Think by Peter Diamandis, a physician himself and an entrepreneur. And the second would be The Patient Will See You Now by Eric Topol. These two guys changed my life. outstanding so listeners check those recommendations out go to outcomesrocket.health slash iver that's i v as in victor e r iver and you'll be able to find a link to those books all the resources that he just mentioned as well as the show notes ever this has been a lot of fun but before we conclude i would love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best way that the listeners could get in touch with you. Wake up every morning to the vast potential of the day to inspire awe, delight, and wonder in the potential of human connections, especially ones that you, you know, the surprise factor. That'll be the delightful surprise factor, of course. And think, you know, if you wake up, oh, not another day, think, okay, what about awe, wonder, and delight? Because then you can create a world that really incorporates your best, your personal and unique vision. So in my case, you know, how can we produce lots more outcomes at way less cost? You know, that's a good one. But whatever that is for you, put it on your mirror if you have to. To get in touch, best through Twitter, that at Iverjuster, or LinkedIn, that would be Iverjuster MD, those are two good places. Outstanding. A great message to close off with, Ivor. And again, just listeners, feel free to follow Ivor in the resources that he suggested and through Twitter and LinkedIn. He's putting out some really good ideas out there. 
in the form of articles and just uh, participation in the different forums. So Ivor, just want to say thank you so much and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 